All right, back in the American Civil War, uh, there was a, a, a terrible battle that was fought at Gettysburg. Uh, and at Gettysburg, uh, a battle that consisted of uh, a couple of days, there was a really terrible battle at Gettysburg, fought at the Devil's Den. Uh, some of you who have visited the site know what the Devil's Den looks like. At the Devil's Den, many people are killed, and there was this Confederate soldier uh, who, uh, who lost his life at the Devil's Den at Gettysburg. And uh, as they were kind of, uh, after the battle, kind of cleaning up the battle scene, they come across this Confederate soldier who has written a bunch of notes that he's been kind of keeping with them. Really, it's his prayer journal. He's been, been keeping his prayers with them. Um, and as they pick this man up, they read his, one of his prayers. And uh, it's become kind of a legendary prayer, really. And it says this, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked God for health, that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity, that I might do better things. I asked for riches, that I might be happy. I was given poverty, that I might be wise. I asked for the power, that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness, that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things, that I might enjoy life. And I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. And almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. I was reading that, and something about that resonates as I read it. I mean, what, what a powerful prayer that this person wrote. And I was also thinking it's interesting reading somebody else's prayer journal. You can do that once they're dead. You don't do that for your wife. <laughs> Just joking. <in> <laughs> uh, but reading somebody else's prayer journal, and uh, there's, you get an, an interesting insight into their life. And I think of all the things that we talk about when we talk about prayer, um, we don't really talk about how other people's prayer life really resonates uh, with our lives. And when you get this insight into what this soldier was going through, uh, some of the things that he was hoping uh, would, would come uh, to fruit from his prayers, don't, but then the things that he really desired in his heart do. We find that there's, uh, there's an answer to prayer um, that may not look exactly the way that we expect it, but there's something about this prayer that resonated with me as I read it. And I was thinking about when we read other people's prayers as kind of what we do a lot in Scripture without even realizing it. And in Ephesians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, which was in kind of modern-day Asia Minor, he prays for them. In the first three chapters, he writes two prayers for the church in Ephesus. And so we're, not only are we kind of like reading someone else's mail, we're reading somebody else's prayer, much like this soldier, this fallen soldier. And as we read it, what we find is a couple things, is that there's something about it that, is, that resonates with us today. It's a powerful prayer. But it's also ageless. As we read this prayer, we find that it ends with this phrase, generation after generation. We find that Paul's praying for this church, but he's praying for the church. And 2,000 years later, I think that this prayer is for us as well. And my hope today is that this prayer would resonate with our hearts, but it, hearts, but it, would, also, it would also transform our hearts and our reality of this life that we're living in right now. So if you could open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14, 
This is the prayer of Paul for the church in Ephesus. He says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's a powerful prayer. It's an exciting prayer. As we've read through Ephesians, what we find is that just the language is so beautiful. Paul's just this expert writer, this, these words that are divinely inspired. And you read through that prayer, what you find is that it's a prayer of encouragement. And I always say when it comes to prayer, when it comes to what we pray for, when other people pray for us, I don't always know how prayer works. But I know that prayer works. And I know that prayer is powerful. One of uh, my favorite uh, biblical scholars says this about prayer. It says, when we pray, we remember the love of God that wants the best for us, the wisdom of God that knows what is best for us, and the power of God that can accomplish it. So the love of God that desires the best for us, when we pray, we remember that. We remember the wisdom of God, which knows what is best for us, and then the power of God that can accomplish it. I think those are good reminders as we pray. A couple things that, that, that Paul prays for for the church of Ephesus is one is that he prays that Christ might strengthen you with power. Think of that phrase, that Christ might strengthen you with power, and this power comes from his glorious riches. We remember that Paul's writing this from prison. Paul has suffered greatly. Paul has gone through uh, a terrible, a terrible time. And he's using this moment in his weakness and in his suffering to encourage people who need it, to encourage people who are weak, to encourage people that are exhausted, weary, worn out. His prayer is that Christ would strengthen them with power. And this, this strength, this power that comes from God, comes from his glorious riches, the generosity of God. There's this power that they tap into where God just fills them with this energy. Ralph Martin, uh, who wrote a wonderful commentary on Ephesians, talks about really the whole gist of this letter is that it, it, that, that Paul is calling on the people of Ephesus to realize the full wealth of treasure available to them by the enthronement of Christ as the head of the universe. And sometimes we forget this. Christ, the head of the universe, God who created everything, God who knows everything, God who is all-powerful, God who is infinite. We have access to God. Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus, remember that. We are people of the resurrection. We are people who have supernatural power behind us. We are not just ordinary people. 
the spirit of the living God is with us. He's praying that we would be strengthened and powerful because of that. There's other passages in, about power. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And in 1 John 4.4, 4, He who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. I think Paul understands something about the power of God in his life, and this is why he's able to stand in front of the theater in Ephesus. Remember the amphitheater where the riot takes place, and there's 50,000 people angry, shouting at him. And he says, let me get in there to talk to those people. And his friends say, you're not going in there. They're going to kill you. And Paul says, I don't care. There's this power that he has where he's fearless. And he's praying for the same power of God to be in our lives. If you are like me, and you are here on Labor Day weekend, you are weary. You have to stay off social media because everybody's either at the beach or up in the mountains somewhere cool, or they're fishing, or they're doing something fun. I remember going, like, last night talking to Marcy, just saying, like, I'm exhausted. I'm weary. It's the end of the summer. It's still hot. And we come to this place in Scripture with this prayer from Paul for the church, encouraging us with the power of God. Maybe today, in your weariness, you need that the spirit of the living God would just fill you with that strength of his power. To just receive that, to just say, Lord, fill my life with this. I need it. I'm weak, weary, exhausted. I'm done. Maybe it's because of a relationship. Maybe it's because of how work's going. Maybe it's because, like, your kids are crazy like mine. I don't know what it is. Here we have Paul saying, pray that Christ would strengthen you with power. Would strengthen you with power. Then he goes on and says kind of the, the second thing that the prayer is for. Strengthen you with power. That Christ might dwell in your hearts. Strengthen you with power that Christ might dwell in your hearts. Barclay, who I mentioned earlier, says the secret of strength is the presence of Christ in our lives. The secret of strength is the presence of Christ in our lives. Like, I have found this to be true, especially in times where I'm weary, especially in times where my insecurities kick in, when I start to kind of believe all the false narratives about myself, I realize that I haven't spent significant time abiding in Christ. But when Christ dwells in us, this power flows through us. We're of this world. We're in this world, but not of this world. We tap into something much different. John chapter 15 is one of the more, uh, my favorite passages in Scripture where it talks about this idea of biting. It uses this imagery of vine and branches, and it says that we abide in Christ. Without that, there's nothing that we can do. But with that, we can do everything that God calls us to. We produce great fruit when we abide in Christ. This idea of Christ dwelling in us is a relationship. There's communion with him. That you may have power that Christ may dwell in you. The third thing that Paul prays for is this. He prays that they may grasp the incalculable dimensions of God's love. Praise that they may grasp the incalculable dimensions of God's love. This is the song that we just prayed about, or just sung with uh, the overwhelming love of God. There's something about this love that gives us identity and security. This is 
Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about grace, how, how Paul wants to imprint this on the hearts of the Ephesians, the grace of God, how important grace is in your life, that you receive it from God, that you distribute it to others. Last week, talked about peace, the shalom, the peace of God. And here he drives home this point. He's praying for them that they may know the incalculable love of God. Because this love is transformative. This love not only grounds us in a true identity, but it makes the world go around. This is the love that builds relationships, keeps relationships together, holds families together, holds friendships together. This is the love that takes the least of these and makes them heroes in the sight of God. The incalculable love of God. Paul's prayer is that we would grasp that, that we would understand it. Talks about how high, how wide, how deep this love is. It's mysterious and it's overwhelming. We have all sorts of kind of false narratives about who God is in our culture. God is a God of love, unconditional and unfathomable love. Paul wants the Ephesians to know this, especially in a culture where we base value and judgments on what we produce, on our worth, on our image. Here we have him saying, God just loves you for who you are. You're human. This love is boundless, and it's transformative. There's an old story about the French Revolution. These soldiers uh, who were fighting lost a comrade in battle. And uh, they go to a church to bury their friend. And it's this Catholic church, and this priest comes out. And the priest says, you want to bury your friend in my graveyard, in the church graveyard? Has he been baptized in the Catholic church? And these soldiers say, I don't, I don't know, I don't think so. And the priest says, well, he can't be buried here. And they're like, well, he, he's given his life, you know, fighting for, like, why can't he be here? And, he says, because those are the rules that we have. If you haven't been baptized here, you cannot be buried in this graveyard. So they discouraged to go outside the fence of the graveyard and decide to bury their friend there. Late at night, they're digging this grave. They drop their friend into it. They leave. They come back the next morning and decide, we should probably make sure that everything was okay, burying him in the middle of the night. So they come back in the morning, and they go outside the fence, and they're looking for the grave, and they can't find it. They're looking around thinking, what happened? Did we do this? Did we dream it? Where did it go? It's gone. Look all around outside of the fence. And finally, confused, searching for this friend that they had buried, the priest comes out. And he says, I'm so sorry I told you you couldn't bury your friend here. It tore me up all night. I can't believe I had told you that, and I just feel terrible about it. So last night... After you guys left, I couldn't sleep. So early this morning, I came up, and I moved the fence. Picked it up by myself, re-dug re it up, re-dug the fence around it so that your friend was in. And they said, you did that for our friend? He said, yeah, because I realized that's the love of God, what the love of God does. Rules and regulation build fences. The love of God moves the fence. We think about what God's love is like. It's a fence-moving love. Paul wants them to know this, the Ephesians, this love of God. It's incalculable. You can't comprehend it. 
We don't understand it, but it's real, and it transforms us. Paul says, I want you to grasp this love. When we can come to the grips where we grasp the love of God and understand that he loves us for who we are and loves us so much that he wants to make us new people, to make us more like him, to make us more like who he designed us to be, it changes how we live. We receive power and strength from God. He dwells inside of us, but we are people of love, unconditional love. And then finally, the fourth thing that he, he prays for for the church in Ephesus. He prays that they would be filled to the fullness of God. Prays that they would be filled to the fullness of God. I've been kind of like reflecting on that all week. What would that mean, to be filled with the fullness of God? That God's life would be just flowing out of me. It means that I would be experiencing everything that God wants me to experience. I would be producing the kind of fruit that God wants me to produce. To be filled with the fullness of God. I think there's evidence that is the fruit of God's presence in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We call those the fruit of the Spirit. I think that when the fullness of God is with us, those things are evident in our life. They're evident to those around us. They change our relationships. Paul's prayer is that the fullness of God would be with you. Your life, God would inhabit it in a way that others would know him because of it. Strengthens us with power from God's glorious riches. Wants us to grasp the love of God and to experience the fullness of him. This is life that is truly life. As Paul prays for us, my hope is that this would resonate as a prayer. But I want to do something today, too, when it comes to this prayer, when it comes to our lives. I want to take a few moments to reflect, to wrestle with this prayer. When it comes to our prayer life, Andy Murray says this, Beware, beware in your prayers above anything else of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Read that one more time. Beware in your prayers, above all else, of limiting God. Not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. This love of God who wants to give us strength, this love of God that wants us to grasp his love, to live life with him to the full, wants to meet with you today. And I want to do a, kind of a prayer of examine to end our time today before we move to communion. I think the last verse in this uh, prayer from Paul is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. And I think it's something that we uh, sometimes maybe are afraid to pray. I think out of humility, we think, I don't want to pray that because it sounds like it's uh, me asking for too much. But when it comes to the things that are in line with the heart of God and the things that Paul prays for our life, what if we prayed this? prayer, that God would give us the desires of our heart, not just the desires of our flesh. 
So before we move to communion, I want to take time to reflect on this last verse. If we could put it up, verse 20. Let me read it one more time. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. First thing I want us to do is to reflect on that verse, to read it, to hear the words in your mind of this prayer. This prayer for Paul, for the Ephesians, this prayer that is for us. Read through it. And now take a moment of silence and think about these words. Then all we ask or imagine, maybe with bowed heads, think about your life right now, what you ask for, what you imagine, what you need from God. Imagining what God wants to do through you individually and through our church corporately. And then know that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to move to a time of communion. Lord, we're grateful for prayer. And sometimes, Lord, we just need to receive it. This prayer that was written 2,000 years ago that we, we open it up today, we find the words from the Apostle Paul, divinely inspired by you. And what we believe about this passage, Lord, is that this prayer is for us praying that we would be strengthened in your power, that you would dwell in our hearts, that we'd come to grasp your love, that we'd be filled to the fullness of you. Lord, refresh our hearts today. Lord, with all of our longings and our desires and the things that we, we want to accomplish that we have been praying about for a long time, Lord, we bring those to you today. We ask that you would move in our lives with your love, with your wisdom, with your power. That the fruit of your fullness would be evident in our relationships, our friendships, our families. That we wouldn't strive on our own strengths, Lord, but on the power that comes from you. You are the source of life. Lord, I ask your blessing today on this community that you would do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine individually and corporately. Pour out your spirit on us today, Lord.
Amen. We end each week with communion. Communion for us is something that's sacred. It represents this story that we're all a part of. It represents this love of God. We take a piece of bread. We believe that this bread is symbolic of the body of Christ that was broken open on the cross. That all of the brokenness of this world, all of our brokenness gets put back together because of this broken body. Then we take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out and shed on the cross that washes us away, washes away all of our dirt, all of the things that we're ashamed of, our sin. Through the breaking open of the body and the pouring out of the blood, we are restored. Today, we invite you to the table to take communion in this time of prayer and reflection. And we'll sing together, and then I'll close this.